On This Week in Baseball History, we take you on a historical trip and discuss 122 years ago, the Brooklyn Dodgers were in Brooklyn, but they weren't the Dodgers. Just who were they? The Baseball Hall of Fame candidates have been announced. I'll tell you who we think is in and who's not. And another baseball strike has arrived. What did the last one look like? And what could another one do to baseball's future? Let's discuss. All this and more. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first episode of This Week in Baseball History, a show for premium subscribers to the podcast Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. First off, if you're listening to this, I just want to say thank you. You have made a decision to support this show and help it grow by giving just a little bit every month, and I can't thank you enough for that. And as one reward of the many that you get for being a premium subscriber, you get access to this show that's going to happen every week and contain information about what's happening in baseball and how it's related to baseball's past. So overall, yes, thank you for joining me. I'm excited to get this going, this new venture. So let's get into our first story. On this date in baseball history, in 1964, the Houston Club changed their name from the Colt 45s to the Astros. Chicago White Sox shortstop Luis Aparicio won the American League Rookie of the Year Award. And finally, on December 1st, 1966, Former Montreal Expos and Colorado Rockies Hall of Famer Larry Walker was born. Our next story, the Baseball Hall of Fame candidates have been announced. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the candidates for the 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame induction has been announced. Some of the notable names include Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, and Roger Clemens. So out of this list, who do I think has the best chance of getting into the Hall? Well, we know that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens have both been involved in scandals surrounding steroids. And out of that group, that third name, Kurt Schilling, to me, seems like the most likely of this trio to get inducted into the class of 2022. Now, we do know that Schilling has made some off-field comments, and he's made his political views known, and they have come under fire by the mainstream media. But look, privately and publicly... Some voters admit that Schilling's controversial views have cost him votes in previous years, but this time, Schilling should get all of the necessary votes and will finally get inducted. Out of those three, who do I think has the lowest chance of getting in this year? Well, we know that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds have fallen short of that 75% of the balance that's needed to be inducted. And you want to add to this, too, that both of them are in their 10th year and their final year of eligibility. And you combine that with them only getting about 62% of the votes on average that they need. It's kind of a tie to think who is not going to get in. We know that both have had the steroid controversy following them. And unfortunately, that's going to be a big barrier preventing, arguably, two of the greatest players of their time from entering the hall. For those of you that maybe weren't around during this time or who had forgotten, let's revisit a little bit of what's keeping these two players from getting that 75% to get into the hall. Barry Bonds, let's start with him. In 2007, Barry was indicted on charges of perjury and obstruction of justice because of his involvement 
with an organization called Balco. They were a company that manufactured an undetectable steroid used by several major league players and professional players in general. Bonds was said to have allegedly lied to a grand jury during the federal government's investigation of Balco. Bonds was convicted, and then he had the conviction overturned, and those perjury charges were eventually dropped, but that damage was still done to Barry Bonds' reputation within the baseball community. Now, Bonds claims that he did use a clear cream that he had received from his athletic trainer, Greg Anderson, and that Greg Anderson was Bonds' athletic trainer since the year 2000. And Anderson was indicted and charged with supplying several athletes in baseball and other sports with anabolic steroids. And Anderson's charges and indictment history, that drew enough for people to really second guess if Bonds was, if Bonds was telling the truth. And there has and always will remain that suspicion that there was a connection between Anderson, Bonds' trainer, and the allegations that Bonds was using performance-enhancing drugs long-term. That suspicion has led the voters of the Baseball Writers Association of America, which is the group responsible for deciding who gets into the Hall of Fame, to openly admit that they just can't vote for Barry Bonds based on that belief that those allegations of his steroid use are true. So... That's Barry Bonds in a nutshell and what has kept him from getting in. Let's take a quick look at Roger Clemens. Now, there's no denying that Roger Clemens' accomplishments over his career and his stats alone should get him into Cooperstown. Let's take a quick look. Clemens is a two-time World Series champ. He's a seven-time Cy Young Award winner. He's the 1986 American League MVP. He led the league four times in wins. He's a seven-time ERA leader. And he's the five-time American League strikeout leader. Wow. That laundry list of awards and accolades, that should automatically escort Clemens into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. But instead, the focus every year has been that time of the Rocket, his nickname, has not been able to get that 75% of the vote. And it's because of his alleged use of steroids. So, overall, it should be noted, out of both of these players that Clemens and Bonds, both of them, have never tested positive for steroids or performance-enhancing drugs or human growth hormone. hormone excuse me. Yet there are numerous investigations that have come up, both with Clemens and with Bonds, and those investigations throughout the years have kept him out of the Hall of Fame. What really started with Clemens in terms of getting those rumors going was there was a former pitcher named Jason Grimsley, and he named Clemens and Yankees teammate Andy Pettit during his testimony during the Balco investigation. And he said, look, these are two players who were using the steroids, and this is where I got them from. And Grimsley claimed that the Yankees' former personnel coach, Brian McNamee, who was also Clemens' personal trainer, told him exactly where to get the steroids and how to use them. Now, Roger Clemens has denied every single allegation about what Grimsley said and his involvement with Brian McNamee and steroid use. He said under oath that he hasn't used it. He said it to journalists, but the suspicion has lingered. And even without any convictions, without any real evidence... That has turned the Baseball Writers Association of America really against voting Clemens in. So, 
who should get in. I mean, but won't, you know? This is my opinion, but I think that Barry Bonds should get in based on his statistics. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you look at his body of work of the two and what he accomplished before the steroid allegations came up, I think that should make him a lock for getting in this year. People forget Barry Bonds was a elite level player before his time during the home run chase and with the San Francisco Giants. He played for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1986 to 1992, and he won two National League MVP awards. He won several gold gloves. He won a silver slugger award. He routinely hit for 20-plus home runs every year, plus he would steal 20-plus bases every year. And look, we know that his involvement in the scandal with the Balco investigation, it, it didn't lead to any hard evidence and what really seems to have dogged him more than anything, he's, he's just had a negative relationship with members of the media over the year. He's never been the kind of guy that has gotten along with the press. So these are the same people that vote for his induction. They've kept him out. I believe that Barry Bonds should be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, along with who I think will also get in, Kurt Schilling. Story number three, another lockout has arrived. And we need to look at the last one and see why baseball needs to avoid the same type of lockout at all costs. So we know that the owners and the players are at a standstill currently. The question really comes down to how long is this going to last? And there is a particular issue at the heart of this standoff between the two, and that is the practice of tanking. Now, when I say this term, I am referring to when a team intentionally loses games by not signing talented players or making transactions that could benefit the team in the standings. And that's all done with the hope of trying to land higher draft picks or to save money. By having these younger players entering the league, we know that owners can save money because they don't have to pay these players any high salary numbers until their rookie eligibility runs out. And by then, they are distracted by the team's not interest in winning. And the Players Association feels that tanking ruins the integrity and sanctity of the sport of baseball. And they want to see something happen to make it stop. Another issue at the core of the players' complaints is they're concerned about the pay rates that are being paid out to second- and third-tier players when they become free agents. So the players' union is worried about guys that are a little bit older or even guys that are designated to maybe second- or third-tier slots in a lineup coming off the bench, reliever roles, two-way contracts. They're concerned about the minimal amount that is being paid to them, and they'd like to see some sort of floor set on what the salary should be for those players who are not regular starters or really top-tier players in the game. That's the core of what we see that the players want. At the core of what these leaders of our teams within baseball are really looking for is they want to see a hard cap put in place on salaries for each individual team. And they're hoping that's going to limit how much money each team can spend to add talent to their rosters. But that is in direct opposition to what the players want. And they feel that a hard salary cap would actually worsen the issue of tanking that they feel is running rampant throughout the MLB. So there is a bit of an impasse, especially when it comes to the salary cap issue. 
So essentially, the current MLB lockout is the product of both sides refusing to concede in any way to demands or requests. And what we might think is a mere formality, that is just, there is no end in sight currently, and that's the concern. Is this going to be resolved before spring training? Is it going to delay the start of the 2022 MLB season? Is it going to cancel the season entirely? I think that it's important for us to look back into history to see what happened the last time we had a strike and to see the damage that it did to the game. So for this, we need to travel back to 1994. This was the last time we had a work stoppage. The players walked off from the negotiating table because they were unsatisfied and they weren't going to show up to work. And what was at the core of this last work stoppage? Well, it came down to money, as it usually does. The MLB was really suffering miserably financially, and this was largely due to the fact that smaller market teams were not profiting, and there was always this risk of relocation or franchises folding unless you were one of the top five, six teams in the MLB. So the owners wanted to fix that issue, and what they had done was they had proposed a salary cap. They had also proposed, in addition to the salary cap, Local broadcasters, they would have to share the broadcasting revenue that came from being able to uh, broadcast these games. The players did not like either of these measures at all. And because of that, they walked off, like I said. So the entire 1994 MLB season, the playoffs, and the World Series were canceled, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that did not live through this. And the fallout of that decision did hurt baseball. The fans remained bitter after baseball did return. We saw attendance at games once the work stoppage was was called off and we saw baseball resume. We saw attendance down significantly. We saw television ratings drop very quickly. Fans were letting both sides know, the owners and the players, how they felt about the strike, that this was pure greed, and it was putting the the fans in the backseat instead of catering to what they needed, the people that were paying to put these teams on the field. So overall, where do we go from there? One of the big things that saved baseball after the strike was the home run race that we saw the chase to break Roger Maris's record between Sosa and Palmero and Bonds and Maguire, that rekindling of the home run ball of offense as the stake as breaking this hallowed record, that's what saved baseball. But there was a fallout from that with the steroid scandal. There isn't a play style that is now waiting in the wings to save baseball should they decide to stop work again? And I would contend that a major work stoppage like we saw in 1994 could do irreparable damage to baseball's popularity. There is so much competition right now for people's attention, especially in sports. And while the diehards will stay, others may decide to take their viewing hours somewhere else if this strike drags on. So what can we learn from 1994? We can learn that fans are going to be slow to forgive. And if there's not a major idea out there that's going to bring them back, there could be problems for baseball in the future. So my advice, as I'm sure Rob Manfred is listening right now, find a way 
to get both sides to end this as quickly as possible. That brings us to the end of our first episode of This Week in Baseball History. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every one of you that has become a premium subscriber. Remember, you can submit questions to me if you'd like me to answer anything in a future premium episode. I answer questions specifically for premium subscribers on this show. You can send something on social media. You can send me an email at rounderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave me a voicemail. Thanks for joining me, and have a great week, everyone.